and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. Today, we are going to talk about the books Rise and Rule by Ellen Goodlett, the Netflix series Russian Doll, and the latest Star Wars film, Rise of Skywalker. K.W., one of your favorite shows this year, I think, has been Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. I've heard great things about it, but I've never seen it, so I'm keen to hear your opinions. Okay. I think you would really like it if you watched it. So, And it's really short. It's only eight episodes, like all good Netflix series should be, between eight and 13 episodes per season. Any shorter than that, I don't want it to be like six, because then I feel like, ugh, this is just a mini series. But eight is a good amount. Eight, eight okay. to ten. Yeah. Um, so this is a, it's considered kind of a comedy drama, and it was created by Natasha Lyonne with Amy Poehler, um, and Natasha Lyonne stars in it. It is about this woman named Nadia, who goes to her own birthday party, and then at the end of the party, well, not at the end of the party, but during the party, she dies. <laughs> oh, okay. Like you do. and uh, Like you do. Like you do. But she wakes back up in the bathroom of her friend's apartment and she keeps waking back up and dying during her birthday party over and over again. That sounds awful. (laughs) I mean, I mean just the experience, not the show. Yeah, no, she, she's not super stoked about it. One of the things that's really, really cool is that every time she kind of comes to, they're playing this song by Harry Nilsson called gotta get up, which is a really good song. It's from, uh, 1971, and Nilsson is a very underrated songwriter. But anyway, I just, I liked that use of music because it was very similar to Groundhog Day, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, it's it's really funny, but it's also kind of a little bit dark, and it gets into a really good, like, character study of this woman, and she's a very cynical person. Natasha Lyonne tends to play kind of cynical characters. But I think that she grows and becomes a little less cynical over time as the as the thing goes on. And it has a quality akin to magical realism in it, um, which I really enjoy. But one thing I want to mention is that obviously, this plot is very similar to that of the 1993 film Groundhog Day. Sorry, can I stop you for a second? Yeah. When you say magical realism, is it just the Groundhog Day-esque time loop? Or is it more than that? It's a little bit more than that because she meets other people in these loops who may be experiencing similar things, but slightly differently. And there's the question of what is causing these loops, but it's also sort of at a point, the characters experiencing the loops sort of almost give into it and that has a certain power to it. And it's not played as a science fiction time loop. Like she's never trying to be like, there's a scientist with an experiment who's doing something to me. (laughs) It's always just like, this is weird. And there's a lot of weird motifs and symbolism throughout. And it's really hard to talk about without getting too spoilery. But like Groundhog Day, there's no specific explanation for the loops other than maybe a cosmic, you need to become a better person kind of idea. Okay. Yeah. So I, I assume, I don't want to assume, but have you seen Groundhog Day? I have. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my dad's favorite movies. And we watch it every year and he uh, makes us drink sweet vermouth on the rocks with a twist. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> like our Shit's Creek discussion. That's another Chris Elliott is in Groundhog Day. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen that in a couple years, but I do really like that movie. But 
you know, he always, Bill Murray's character wakes up to I Got You Bay by Sinead Cher. And so I think Russian Doll using this other song from a slightly, not quite the same era, but it's an older song, is a, a little bit of an homage to that. But I also wanted to talk about these repeating time loop narratives generally, because Groundhog Day is not even the first film or TV show that played with that. So Groundhog Day is from 1993. There's an earlier film also from 1993, but it was released several months before Groundhog Day, and it's based on a short story called 1201. And I remember seeing this when this came out, and uh, I actually was really into this movie. And it's it's much more of a science fiction take on the time loop, where there is a scientist doing an experiment that causes this guy, played by Jonathan Silverman, to experience a time loop. But like Groundhog Day, it also has this romance where... Helen Slater is this scientist working in the same building as Jonathan Silverman. And over the course of him trying to solve the mystery of why he's experiencing a time loop, he falls in love with her, but it's tragic because every single day she forgets him again. And there's this really sweet scene where over the repeating days, he's collected kind of like in Groundhog Day, but he's collected all these things about her that he's learned over time. And in, in a moment where he has to prove to her that the time loop is happening, he rattles off all the things that she loves and it's like, I don't know, it's really, really sweet. But oh, that's cute. I'm so sappy. Anyway, <laughs> but it was funny because Groundhog Day, the producers of 1201 actually sued Groundhog Day for stealing their idea because the short story that 1201 is based on was published in 1973. And so there is a little bit of a thinking that maybe they had read that and had the idea. But, but the fact that those both came out in the early 90s and then later in the early aughts, there was a TV series on Fox called True Calling with Eliza Dushku playing a med student working in a morgue who every night uh, one of the corpses wakes up and says, save me. And then her day rewinds until she can go back and save that person. Does it rewind? Like if the day goes by and she still hasn't saved them, does it rewind again? Or did they never really get to that? There was, yeah, there was a couple episodes, I believe, um, where she wasn't always successful. And then in the second season, there was an evil guy who was trying to prevent her from saving people because he worked for this faction that believed that you shouldn't fix these people's untimely deaths, that there's no such thing as an untimely death and that it's wrong to be able to go back in time. And so it got a little more elaborate and that it was a little more science fiction oriented, like there was a reason for the time traveling, like in 1201, but Groundhog Day and Russian Doll have the common ground of not having an explanation. And I wanted to also maybe discuss what do you think these time loop or repeating day narratives do for us? Because there's been a bunch of other TV shows and films that play with this, this mm -hmm. idea. Like, why do we find this idea compelling? What does that serve us? And I don't know that I have an answer. So I don't know that I have an answer either. Okay, so not what makes it compelling to us. Okay, you know, Legends of Tomorrow, right? Yes. <clears throat> Yeah, it's a time travel show. In season three, they have an episode where they do a time loop like this. It's an ensemble cast, and they kind of keep changing people around every season. They brought in a character named Zari in like the fourth episode of season three, and then this was maybe the 11th episode. So we hadn't seen her too much, and they used this episode as a way to get to know her better and to like deepen her characterization, which I thought was really cool. So from a writing perspective or just a perspective of a viewer who needs more, a bit more characterization, I think that would 
that is a good reason for it. But as for why it's so compelling, I think maybe it's because we do have a tendency to want to be able to fix our mistakes. Time doesn't stop. So things like heroes stopping time and heroes, that's desirable because we want to be able to do things like that. We want to be able to take our time to make decisions or go back and fix things that we, we all say stupid things and accidentally do stupid things. And we all want to go back and fix them. So maybe that's, that appeals to us because we can improve ourselves and fix our mistakes without really impinging on other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one idea I had. I also feel like it's it's some part of the idea that as human beings, because whenever these characters experience these things, it's like it gets old fast. You know, mm-hmm. you see them getting like really frustrated very quickly. And even in Groundhog Day, he starts trying to kill himself because it's just unbearable. And I think there's a tension as human beings between wanting things to change. So you don't want to live the same day over again, right? But you also, there's a little bit of a wish fulfillment of wanting things to stay the same. So the benefit of having the day repeating is that you suddenly become the smartest person in the room. And yet you also have this comfort of, well, if I really want to just kind of slide through the day, I can because I know exactly what it's going to be. And I think there's also this innate fear Especially depending on what your job is, you may have a very boring job that's very samey every day, you know, that there's a little bit of a horror story in that idea that you're just kind of punching your way through the same day. I can relate to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think a lot of people can relate to that, no matter what your job is, that there's this, ugh, I got another Monday morning coming and it's just going to be the same people saying the same, you know, dad jokes at work and it's just like, yeah, whatever. So there's a little bit of that, oh, is this, have I already done this before? It's like you're experiencing deja vu every day. So with all of the pieces that I've described, though, the thing that is different is that each person, because the day is repeating, they have a mission that goes above and beyond the, the common, like, everyday things of a day. So I think maybe one message some of these pieces are trying to say is that even if everything does feel mundane, you have a larger purpose. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just getting out of that rut and it's finding that larger purpose or what the rut is trying to tell you is how to kind of rise above it. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I like all of those points. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I do totally recommend checking out Russian Doll. I think you would love it. Um, 1201 is a really fun movie. So if you've seen Groundhog Day and you want something a little more science fiction-y, that's great. True Calling had only two seasons, and they're available on DVD. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but that is a, a really fun show. So Cool. I'll probably check all of those out. I see that 1201 features Helen Slater yes. of Supergirl fame. Yes. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you. And you just read some really interesting books that sounded pretty cool, didn't you? I did, yeah. I'm a big fantasy fan, and for some reason... Winter always feels like a good time to read fantasy. Does that? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's like a cozy genre, sort of. Yeah. The first book is called Rule by Ellen Goodlett. I was looking for fantasy books on my library's Overdrive app, and I found it. It was available, so I downloaded it, and I really, really liked it. I shouldn't sound so surprised. <laughs> but it's about three women. The one thing that I am uncertain about is actually what age group it is oh 
because it feels a little bit young adult, but it feels a little bit adult too. So I think it's probably classified as young adult. So it follows three women, Zophie, Akela, and Florencia, who goes by Wren. They find out that they're illegitimate daughters of the king, and his true heir um, and son was killed a year ago, a year previously. He finds out he's sick, and he brings these three girls into the castle to learn from him. And also, there's no true like contest, but it's implied that he'll pick one of them to succeed him. But each of them has a secret from their past that makes them really, really nervous in the castle. And they have a blackmailer who knows all of their secrets. So at first, each of the sisters thinks it's another sister doing it. But you as a reader are privileged to know that that's not the case because all three of them are being blackmailed. And basically the blackmail is just like, leave. Don't (laughs) like take yourself out of the race for the crown. And leave the city or I will expose your deepest, darkest secrets, which are all pretty, they're pretty bad. (laughs) And what I really liked about it was all three points of view characters are women. And I think that's really cool. And I like that all three are different people. Like they're very different characters and they don't trust each other at first. They don't really like each other at first. But another thing that will always get me to read books is sister relationships and they do form sisterly bonds and each of them changes in the sense that they get to be better people but they don't really change at their core so they're still allowed to be very different people and they just gain more respect for one another and and their differences so i just really really enjoyed that and then it's a duology so the sequel is called rise and That one wasn't as successful for me as a book, but I really wanted to know what happened and I I wanted to know how the story rounded out. And I ended up reading, I listened to both of these in the space of a week. Oh, wow. I think. Yeah. I usually just listen to audiobooks in the car, but with these ones, I was like getting home from work and just listening to them in my bed. Oh. And that's not something I normally do because I normally you know, want to be doing something with my hands or, or whatnot. Or if I'm going to read in bed, I'm going to read an actual, like a physical book. Yeah. So I think that speaks to how excited I was to get through it. There are a couple things I didn't quite like about, about the second book, but overall the same things held true for number two, which is that I really like the three main characters and they, they got to form very cool sisterly bonds. So yeah, I really, really like them. And I would recommend them to anyone who is into high fantasy, probably, or young adult fantasy. Do you know who read them, the narrator? Oh, that's a good question. I was like a good, good narrator of an audiobook. Like somebody yes. who's very good at it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, no, no. That's true. Okay, so actually there are three narrators because there are three points of view. Oh, okay. So it's Lisa Flanagan, mm-hmm. Bonnie Turpin, that's B-A-H-N-I. Mm-hmm. And Sunila Nankani. Mm, okay. And that last name is N-A-N-K-A-N-I. That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up, too, because I think that really helped because each of the three women had a different voice. So you could clearly tell when a new character was speaking. Each of the voices was different, but they were all really, really good readers. Cool. So, And I think I've definitely recognized some of the readers, but I don't, I can't tell you what else they've narrated. 
Cool. No, that's fine. That's I. Yeah, like I said, I really I think a good audiobook can be made or broken by the narrator, and sometimes a not super great book can be made better by the narrator. I mm-hmm. remember listening to a Stephen King novel that I wasn't super stoked about, but the narrator was so good that I was like, like you, I would like come home and listen to it at home even, and was like, yeah, let me hear more of it. But I kind of knew I don't know that this would be that compelling if I was just reading it. So yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Cool. Those books sound really good. I'm going to I'm gonna try to check at least the first one out and see if I like it. I hope you do. But we both saw a movie recently that we enjoyed and want to talk about, and that's Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. There will be spoilers. I don't think it's possible to really talk about it without spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but please turn our podcast off. <laughs> if you're, if you're going to turn the podcast off, then bye. Next time, we're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff, including rewatching the pilot of the 80s sitcom Cheers. So look forward to that next time. And come back to this after you've seen Star Wars. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my first impression of it was, I really, really, really liked it. What was your first impression? I really liked it too. I probably did not like it as much as the first two of this sequel trilogy. I liked the first movie the best. I liked the second movie almost as much. And this one was a little bit farther behind, but I still liked it better than I liked it better than the movies in the prequels trilogy or the regular trilogy. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me to pick between this trilogy and the prequel trilogy because that's the one I grew up with. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're shiny and new. And right at this point in time, I think I like this more than the original trilogy. I actually did not like The Last Jedi very much. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. And I mean, that's okay. Not every fan is going to like every single movie. But I think that might have helped with this one. Because I kind of went into the first one with zero expectations. Mm -hmm. And then I loved it. And because I loved it, I went into The Last Jedi with high expectations. And then I didn't like it as much. So... This one, I had sort of a resigned attitude. I was like, well, if I like it, I like it. And if I don't, I don't. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, I I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I think I, I probably went into it similarly. I, I went into it coming off of a really bad cold, and I was still a little bit sick. And I was like, whatever, I just want to be out of the house. So um, yeah, I, but I think I did keep my expectations very tempered. And that helped, but I still didn't like it quite as much as the first two for me. But yeah. It's a very fine distinction. It's hard to even pick. But what did you what did you particularly like? My favorite thing about the sequel trilogy is Ray. I mean, I was eight when I first saw the original movies and I was eleven when episode one came out. So this was a really big part of my childhood and it was so inexplicably exciting for me to see Ray be the main character during The Force Awakens. So the fact that she is the main character in this whole trilogy is why it's it's one of my favorites. That was part of what I was a little bit disappointed with in The Last Jedi because I thought that her storyline didn't really revolve around her. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more about Kylo Ren and Luke. So in this one, I like that she very much, again, felt like the main character. So I appreciated that. I like her as a character, too. She's She has become my favorite character in all of the Star Wars movies, hands down. Same. I was thinking about this the other day because I was working on uh, last week's podcast and 
my favorite movie of the year was Captain Marvel, which now I would change that. My favorite movie of the year would be, would be Rise of Skywalker. But uh, we mentioned that Captain Marvel was angry mm-hmm. and Ray is very angry. Yes. I was just thinking about that the other day because I was wondering if it, that was part of the appeal for Ray, for me, you know, that she embodies some of that anger that I feel. I'm going to send you the reading list from a class I took a couple years ago called Raging Women. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. So I'm so excited. It was all like narrative. Some of them were novels. Some of them were nonfiction. Some of them were like social theory, all about women historically having anger and what they use that anger for. And a lot of it is activism and fighting for their own rights or the rights of other people that have been marginalized and, and whatnot. But yeah, so things like women in punk rock and suffragettes and all this stuff. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. I look forward to that. Okay. For our listeners, I would say that a couple things that are on that that are easy to read. Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by Carrie Brownstein would be one book on there that is, I think, exemplifies focused feminine rage directed into an artistic endeavor, directed into activism, and sometimes sadly directed at the self. Uh, But she articulates it really well and relatably. So I think that's a really good book. Anyway. Great. It's on my list. Okay. But back to back to what we like about <laughs> Ray. Over. Yes, Ray is very Ray is an angry woman, and we love it. And we love it. But she's right to be mad. I mean, like it's not. And I think that she maintains an air of optimism. And like Luke, she just wants to do the right thing. And I love. I think we've talked about this before that heroes who are just being heroic. Like that's not. Mm-hmm. Why does it have to be so novel? It doesn't. I mean just being righteously focused in your goal and doing what is best for people and trying to save people. Absolutely. And I think that ties into another interesting thing about the movie, which is that Ray, we find out her background, and she is a Palpatine. Mm -hmm. I don't really like, I had to remind myself who the emperor even was, because it's been a while, and I'm not as deep into the fandom as some people. And I didn't really even remember what happened to the emperor. And okay, I mean, I once I kind of got all that, it's like, yeah, that's pretty. He's evil, and he was thought to be dead, and all this. And it's important <laughs> to overthrow him. And he creeped me out in this movie. He was pretty. Yeah, he was. He was creepy. Gross. I know that some people did not like that he was brought back and stuff, but the point I wanted to make was that her lineage is from Emperor Palpatine, who is arguably the most evil guy in the galaxy mm-hmm. and i thought it bookended this the trilogy really well because we find out about who palpatine was before he was emperor palpatine mm-hmm. in the first one in phantom menace and then he comes back in this one and my point about it was that she comes from this family of evil basically but she chooses a new family she chooses finn and she chooses poe and bb8 and yeah part of her arc in this movie is learning not to be afraid of herself because she's going to choose the better parts of herself but the end when she declares herself a skywalker and she wants to live in the jedi legacy and live in that light i just thought i love stories like that where you're not defined by 
who you were born or who your family was, you choose who you want to be. And I think that ties in really well with the fact that she's just a heroic person. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, as you were describing that ending, I started tearing up. Because <laughs> oh, no. oh. that was really, mm, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's one of those moments where when they kept asking her, what's your family? And I knew what she was going to say. And I still was like, oh, right. Yeah. It's not surprising, but it's it's poignant. It's poignant. I got chills. I get I got chills. Yeah. Yeah. And and kind of burying the lightsabers and having used both Luke and Leia's lightsabers and then making her own. And that was all very huh, moving. Yes. I love that Leia got some background as a Jedi um, her training and that she made a lightsaber and that Rey defeated the Emperor by using both Luke's and Leia's sabers. Yes. And I really loved at the end when she revealed her own saber and it was made from the hilt of her staff that she takes people down with. That was one of my favorite moments when she ignited that and you realized it was part of her old weapon. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, very, very moving. Lots of yeah. moving moments, but there was also a lot of funny and cute moments and do you want to talk about Babu Frick? <laughs> sure. Babu Frick is a little alien guy. And I mean, little literally. He, he's maybe a foot tall. And the main characters go to him for help with getting something out of C-3PO's memory. And he is just, I mean, he's a, he has a lot of dialogue in some alien language that we don't understand. But he has a little bit of of the common language and he'll say things like hey hey or hi <laughs> babu frick <laughs> like i think just the cuteness combined with his size was i think everyone kind of got a kick out of him yeah but <laughs> he was cute and the little the little droid they find this little this little droid who almost looks like a megaphone and he speaks just common and and you understand him from the beginning and he's kind of translating um bb8 a little bit and he was pretty cute Yeah, I liked him a lot. (laughs) So he does two things that I really like. One is that he'll just say the emotion that he's feeling. (laughs) So he'll be like, happy (laughs) or sad. (laughs) And then the other thing is that when something happens that he doesn't like, he just backs away and says, no, thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) That's my attitude. That's my goal in life. It's just, yes, no, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) B-D-O. Yeah. Uh, but you you had some thoughts about Finn in this film too, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I I've loved Finn since The Force Awakens. It's hard for me to talk about The Last Jedi because I haven't actually watched it that much, as much as I've watched the other ones. Mm-hmm. What I was disappointed with was he was separated from a lot of people, everyone except Rose. Mm-hmm. And I love Rose too. I just want to be clear on that. Yeah. Um, but I like that he got to spend a lot of time with Poe and Ray because one of the things I that really drew me to The Force Awakens was that sort of instant, immediate, deep friendship between Finn and Rey. So I like that they got to spend more time in this one. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about Finn? Well, okay. What did he, he kept wanting to tell Rey something and he never got to. (laughs) And then Poe was all like, what the heck? And they never, please correct me if I'm crazy here, but he never got to reveal what it was going to be. No, he doesn't. I just, that bugged me driving you crazy yeah and i you had a theory about it but i don't know if i agree with you (laughs) (laughs) my theory is that he wanted to tell her that he was force sensitive i have that theory because he demonstrates it a bunch throughout this film he knows where i don't know that radio signal is coming from after they shut down the tower and he feels ray at that moment when she 
spoilers is dead for like a minute <laughs> so yeah that that's my theory but why do you not agree with it and do you have another one now that you're now that you're putting it all together i think i could get behind that i don't really have another theory necessarily other than I started wondering if he and Rose were kind of starting a relationship, but then he was kind of into that girl that he was running around the one ship with. Jana. Then I also sometimes think he's really into Poe, and I don't know. Yeah. Although Poe is into, Poe is kind of into Felicity there, which I, I don't know. Okay, so Carrie Russell played, <laughs> I'm going to call her Zori. Zori. But they never show her face. And they just show her eyes for a second, but she's got a very distinctive voice. And so I obviously mm -hmm. knew it was her and I had heard she was in it, but I forgot. And then, but it seemed like they had a little bit of a past and were sort of had a kind of interesting relationship. And I thought that was cute, but I also, I don't know. I still also think that he and Finn have a connection that feels closer than just a friendship, but I'm not. Right. You're allowed <laughs> to have multiple people that you're into. So whatever. That's, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. It's kind of confusing because... I do feel like Finn and Poe have chemistry, but part of me is just like, well, Disney threw that in there because they wanted to make it explicit that they're not gay because they can't have a gay couple in yeah. a Star Wars film, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I always liked Finn and Poe together. But at the same time, this might be a little bit controversial, but I I liked that there wasn't really romance in the whole trilogy. I like that. Yeah. No, that was fine. And I think that we could probably also have like a discussion about because you did not like Ben and Ray kissing at the end. Yeah. I don't know that that has to even be interpreted as romantic. I was sadder because he died because I think that if he had not died, I could see them going ahead and forging a relationship because he was redeemed and she knew who she was. I almost sometimes think she wasn't sure about getting with him, not just because he was evil, but because she's like, I'm not sure if you're my brother or my cousin. <laughs> and that's not great. So let's not go there. You're also evil. So he's not evil. He saves her life. He's rebooted back to, you know, Ben Solo, and she can tell that. But it can be interpreted as a gratefulness and a feeling like he's at peace, but not necessarily romantic, but it could be romantic. So... I think I would have liked that moment better if he hadn't died. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's sad that he did die, but I get that it may have been better for him to die. Because mm -hmm. he was bad. He was like... He was real bad. Real bad. He wasn't like, make some ethically questionable decisions. He was yeah. like, out there killing people, killing his father. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't see any way for him to have been redeemed without him dying because he just has then to it's just sorry no but he he did, i was gonna make a joke that he just has to go ask for his soul back and then he'll be <laughs> <laughs> sorry so easy in the star wars universe it's a that's a buffy <laughs> reference joke but <laughs> but not to be flipped but like the evil people in buffy who saw redemption with actually achieving like getting the girl and, and whatever and having them forgive them it's because of getting this piece of them missing that is returned that makes them not be evil anymore and I think that mm -hmm. he achieved that so it kind of I don't know that he actually needed I mean I don't know I don't know I don't know man <laughs> I can see that and I'm not against redemption in storylines I actually really really liked it but because it's not really his story and like they're trying to pack so much in mm -hmm. that I think they would have had to do a lot more to make me okay with him living because if he if the movie were as it is now 
and he just lives at the end instead of dies, I think I would have been still pretty suspicious of of him and like what he's going to do in the future, I think. Yeah. But that's just me. But I also really hated him for <laughs> two movies, <laughs> two and a half movies. Aww. And I think that was why it frustrated me too, because Ray hates him for two and a half movies. And I know that they tried to make it pretty clear that it's Ben and not Kylo there. And I like that they teamed up to defeat Palpatine. But yeah, yeah I just thought it was, the kiss was totally unnecessary. Yeah. I actually physically rolled my eyes <laughs> the first time I saw it. <laughs> I think I did that after he, like, or after it happened and then he immediately dies. I'm, that's when I rolled my eyes. Like, ugh. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> But you're right, they didn't have enough room or time. If that had happened a little earlier in the film, maybe we could have had more time to see him be worthy or at least have her be like, you're not worthy yet, but chill out and we'll see what happens. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. That said, I did like how they made that his transition. I liked it in two ways because one, he, he neutrally dies. And I think that can definitely get people to change their perspective a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the second thing was that it's very clearly a choice that he makes. Yeah. And I like that because it paralleled the choice that Anakin makes to become Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith. So I, I thought that was neat. Yeah. Well, and his moment with the ghost or or some kind of imagination of Han Solo, where he's getting kind of redeemed and stuff. And then he says, I love you, dad. And then Han says. No, he doesn't say it. No, Han says, I know. Well, Han says, I know, which mirrors him saying that to yeah. Leia. But I was just saying that Ben doesn't say, I ben love Ben doesn't you. say, I love you. But yeah, he says, dad. And yeah, no, you're right. But just that moment, that moment was both nostalgic and and also forward foreshadowing for what Ben's going to do for Ray. Mm-hmm. And it's also a little bit of fan service, I think. But yeah. <laughs> I wondered if that moment wasn't supposed to be with Leia in an original script. Yeah, actually, that that's my brother-in-law's theory. He thought that was going to be with Leia. Yeah. And I could see that. She might not have even been there in physical form, but like a projection or something, or even if she had already died, that she would be a force ghost for him. But I think they couldn't do it logistically. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you also really liked snap wexley yes. one of the minor characters snap wexley played by greg grunberg the reason i liked him is because i like greg grunberg veteran character actor greg grunberg this was directed by jj abrams and jj abrams puts greg grunberg and he's started to do this with carrie russell too but putting greg grunberg in everything he makes even if it's just in some little minor role, but he, Greg Grunberg has done other things that are legit. He's been more of the star of the piece, like he was on Heroes for a long time, and um, he's he was on Felicity. And oh, was he on Felicity? He was on Felicity, yeah. I think that was probably their first thing. Um, and he was in A Star is Born, and he was oh. on Alias. His role on Alias was actually um, probably the first time I saw him because I saw Felicity after I saw Alias and he's just great and I thought I loved that his character's name was Snap Wexley I thought that was cute and he's been in I think he was in one of the other films too but he was just a nice comic relief and I think that some not all but some of the Star Wars films lack comic relief or Mm -hmm. they rely too much just on C-3PO or like one little element or they try to substitute comic relief with cute characters and that doesn't always work well and of course i really really hate jar jar binks and 
I think that was the attempt in the prequel. So I don't. Yeah, <laughs> that was bad. I love Jar Jar Binks, so okay. we're not going to get into that. All right. But I, I will say, <laughs> I will say that this movie I thought did the humor really well. Yes, and I thought that there was humor mixed with pathos. Like C three PO's storyline in this film, it lost a little impact because they were so worried that Chewie had died, mm-hmm. even though he hadn't. And I think that C three PO potentially getting his mind wiped lost a little power because of that. Nobody seemed as upset about it. And I wasn't oh, okay. sure if it was because he can be a little annoying or because he would still be alive. He just wouldn't remember anything. Um, so when we when we finally see him get his memory back, it wasn't as great as I would have liked it to be. Okay. But I do think that normally C-3PO is good, good comic relief, but he shouldn't be the only source of it. And so mm-hmm. a character like Snap or also Dominic Monaghan's character was a little bit funny too. And so I thought both of those were used pretty effectively. Yeah, and I thought I thought there were a lot of good moments amongst the three main characters, Finn, Ray, and Poe. Yes, especially that exchange when Finn and Poe come back from their initial mission, mm-hmm. and the ship's on fire, and Ray's just like, "What did you do to my ship?" And Poe's like, "What did you do to my droid?" <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was funny. That was funny. Yeah, when the when the three of them are together and it's not a moment of crisis, they can be funny. The three of them together, so mm-hmm. that harkens back to the. Original trilogy trio, which also could be similarly funny together, Luke, Leia, and uh, Han. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the three of them are definitely my favorite thing about the new trilogy. Yes, agreed. Yeah, and the last thing I did want to say is I I know we try to stay positive on here and talk about the things we like, but I do want to say that I'm very disappointed that Rose didn't have very much screen time at all because I really liked her character and. The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and I thought they could have done a lot more with her than they did. So I hope she will be in books that come out later. Hopefully. Yeah, I agree. I like her a lot, and it was too bad that she didn't have more to do. I think there was a lot of logistical, and this is maybe one of my criticisms about this film, and it's hard to get around it, but with Carrie Fisher passing away before they finished this, or even I think started this, she, they used a lot of recycled footage from other movies for her. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to use as much as they could, and that kind of pushed other storylines that could have been possible around and off screen. And yeah, so that was unfortunate. Yeah. And I, I did hear that she had more scenes, but they ended up on the cutting room floor, which always is unfortunate. Um, I'm still kind of upset about in episode three, a lot of Padme's scenes got cut out where she, she and her friends kind of start the rebellion Mm. all of those scenes got cut so yeah it's it's hard to i mean movies i like them but i i think i said before that i think tv is a better medium for telling like really big epic stories because there's just more time yeah yeah it's it's too bad with tv not having usually not having as big of a budget as a film you can't necessarily make those epic stories look as good but you have the space and time to tell them. So it's a big trade-off. Right. But overall, uh, I really loved it. was kind of surprised by how much I liked it. And I'm very happy with the sequel trilogy in general. So I'm a happy Star Wars fan. I agree. (laughs) Great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So next time, we're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff, including, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be rewatching the pilot episode of the classic 80s sitcom, Cheers. Now, have you ever seen that or seen it in bits and pieces? 
I know of it. I've seen parts on TV, but I haven't really watched them. Okay. You know? Great. But you like it, right? Or you you just haven't seen it in a while? I haven't seen it in a while, yep. So this will okay. be a nice revisit for me. Awesome. All right. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And you can find me at Carrie Gessner. And if you want to email us, you can email us at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And if you want to find us together on Twitter, you can do that at Pause Pop Podcast. Thank you for listening and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>